You are listening to the preaching ministry of Christ Church San Antonio. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.christchurchsa.com. Thank you for listening. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is the Word of God. Okay, let's pray. God, we ask your help now as we come before your Word. Help us to submit our lives to your authority given to us in the Scripture. And we pray that you would be, at the, be about the work and the business of changing us, conforming us into Jesus' own image through your grace. So will you help continue and further that process even today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the most famous theologians and really uh, just men to live in the last 500 or so years is a man named Martin Luther, who famously began what is known as the Protestant Reformation in the early 16th century by nailing the 95 theses onto the door in Wittenberg, Germany. And uh, that's a very well-known historical moment. And the first of those 95 theses that Martin Luther published in order to stimulate and spark discussion with the church in that day and to move it out of its corrupt practices, the first of those theses was something like this, that the sum of the Christian life, the sum of the Christian life is to be characterized by faith and repentance. The sum of the Christian life is to be characterized by daily faith and repentance. Luther thought it was so important that he made that the first of his 95 theses. And that's what we're going to spend some time thinking about together this morning. We've already talked a lot in this series about how change happens, how it happens when we believe by faith what is already true of those of us who are united to Jesus. As Paul says in Romans 6, we are dead to sin and alive to God, and we are to consider ourselves as such. We have a new identity. We are sons and daughters of the Father. Sin no longer has power over us. We are his beloved children. When we believe that, when we engage in that living and abiding reality by faith, the Spirit works on changing us, helping us to say no to unrighteousness and to live a life of obedience and faithfulness to God, and in turn, to flourish and thrive and experience joy and peace and happiness in our own lives. And so we've talked about that in various angles for the last four weeks, and we're going to continue thinking about that today. Understanding that good news of the gospel is the key to change. But understanding alone is not all that change entails. Understanding is not all that the process involves. To see lasting change in our lives, we need to daily practice what Luther said. We need to daily practice faith and repentance. I want you to think about it this way. Daily faith and repentance is the way we pursue God as followers of Jesus and it's the way that change that God is working in us is reinforced in each of our lives individually, as well as in our lives collectively. So when we are, when we are habitually engaging regularly in the pursuit of God, in knowing God through faith and repentance, we are reinforcing 
We are supplementing, we are empowering and helping the process of change that comes in our lives as a result of the gospel. And so today, I want to spend a couple of minutes looking at this Galatians 6 text to answer the question, what strategies are going to help us daily live in faith and repentance? What strategies, what strategies are going to help us reinforce the change that the Spirit of God is already doing in our lives by faith? And so with that question in mind, here's the main idea for the morning. Change is continually reinforced as we commit ourselves to pursuing God through the practices of spiritual formation. That's a bit convoluted. Let me break it down a little bit more simply. Two points for you this morning. The principle of reinforcing change and the practice of reinforcing change. That's where we're headed, okay? So again, we're thinking, what strategies, how can we help ourselves believe, live a life of faith and repentance so that what God is doing is reinforced in our lives as we seek to pursue God? So first, the principle of reinforcing change. We find it here in Galatians 6, in the passage Claire read for us, and the principle is a very simple one. It's this, we reap what we sow. Look at those verses again. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, verse 7, that he or she will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's a very important and common biblical principle that we find here, the principle of sowing and reaping. It teaches very simply that a person will reap spiritually what he or she sows. Listen to Josh Harris, an author and theologian. He writes, what you see in your spiritual life today is a direct result of what you've put in the soil of your life in days past. The difference between the person who grows in holiness, who changes, and the one who doesn't is not a matter of personality, upbringing, or gifting. The difference is what each has planted into the soil of his or her heart and soul. Now, of course, this idea, this image of reaping and sowing was initially an agricultural metaphor that everyone in an agrarian ancient society would have immediately understood. Unless you sow the seed, unless you work the land, unless you till the soil, unless you care for the crops, you will not reap a profound harvest, right? And the spiritual life Paul teaches here and the scriptures teach elsewhere is just the same. You will reap change in your life when you trust the gospel and when you regularly sow seeds of faith and repentance that reinforce your faith, that reinforce your belief. That's how change happens. That's what Paul's getting at there in verse 8. He uses two phrases. One, that you can sow to your own flesh, and if that happens, you're going to reap corruption, or you can sow to the Spirit. And if that happens, you will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, the word flesh there is a common word that is found in the New Testament letters that refers to the old man, the old way of life, to who we were before Jesus found us. When we were dead in sin, when our understanding was darkened, when our wills were corrupted, sowing to the flesh is your habits and your attitudes, and your behaviors that reinforce those old practices and characteristics and mindsets. 
And I'm sure you can think of any number of practical ways in which we do that. When we're sowing to the flesh, we're, we're reinforcing our old lives and our old natures that the Bible tells us we are now dead to. We're, we're as it were, going back into our former slavery to sin. And when we're doing that, the apostle writes, we are going to reap corruption. But on the other hand, when we sow to the Spirit, he says which is the exact same thing as saying what he says a few verses earlier. When we walk by the Spirit, or when we sow the Spirit, we're going to harvest. We're going to reap things that lead to eternal life. We're going to reap change. It's a very important practical principle that change happens over time in the long run when you are developing habits, attitudes, mindsets, and characteristics that are in line with who you are in Christ as a result of the gospel. Sibilo uh, Steele has a really good high school football team. Some of you know that, some of you don't. And uh, I was reading about football, shockingly, a little bit this week. It's that time in the summer where I start longing for football a couple of months away. And uh, you know what time Sibilo Steele's players, even in the summertime, in the summertime show up for, quote, voluntary workouts? They're voluntary in the sense that you don't have to come, but if you don't come, you're not going to play. Seven in the morning. And then during the school year, they have weights and conditioning at 5 a.m. 5 a.m. And the question that I want you to think about is, what would drive 16 and 17 and 18-year-old boys to want to get up that early and go work with their teammates? Which is what it is. They want to win. The harvest they want to reap is victory. But they understand, and the coaches understand, that that is not going to happen unless they sow through the hard work of practice and discipline good habits over time. That's an example of how our spiritual lives are to go as well. That's the principle of reaping and sowing. I recently read a book by uh, a U.S. senator named Ben Sass. It's a very helpful book. No matter your political persuasion, I think you'll like this book. It's called The Vanishing American Adult. And in that book, Sass talks about, um, as a senator, the fact that he's got to meet all kinds of leaders and organizational heads from all over the world and from all over our country. And he says one thing that he's learned from very successful people and from leaders of really healthy, thriving organizations, one thing he sees in all of them is that at very young ages, these men or women had experiences in their life where they had to work, where they had to work really, really hard. He says that there's not a single person he's ever met who has accomplished a lot or who has been successful that hasn't had a period of their lives where they've learned to consistently labor, to work hard. That's what Paul's saying here, guys. He's saying that in the Christian life, if you're going to reinforce change, you have to sow. You have to, by faith, work towards that. Work towards holiness. Work towards Christ-likeness. One more illustration. Malcolm Gladwell is an author. He writes for The New Yorker, and he's written a number of books. And I think his, probably his best book is called Outliers. And in that book, he talks, he has a whole chapter about this rule that he calls the rule of 10,000. Some of you might be familiar with it. And the rule of 10,000 is the idea that in order to be an expert or to be proficient in any field, what's required is more or less 10,000 dedicated hours put into the study of that discipline. 
And he gives multiple examples throughout the chapter, the most interesting of which I thought was his example of the Beatles, a great rock band, the Beatles, before they ever broke through, sort of with the British invasion, you know, in the mid-60s, the Beatles from 1960 through 1962 would travel across the English Channel and play shows in little bitty bars and clubs in Hamburg, Germany. And Gladwell says that they played 270 times a year, five hours a time for three years straight, before anyone even knew who they were. And that happened before they ever broke through into the, in the UK, much less in the United States. So that by the time they did break through, they had put in so many hours, they had sown so much that their musical ability and proficiency was already at an extremely high level. All of these are examples of what is a very intuitive and natural principle, the principle of reaping and sowing. And what Paul is saying here is that change is strengthened and reinforced through our own active engagement with and pursuit of God. Listen, we can't change ourselves by sowing. That's not something we can sort of do on our own, but we can reinforce by faith and repentance what the Holy Spirit is already up to in our lives as we practice the disciplines and the habits of spiritual formation. That's the principle that Paul lays out. And so the next question then is, given that principle, how practically can you and me and anyone who's a follower of Jesus work to reinforce change in our lives? How can we, how can we join with the Holy Spirit in what he's already doing through his powerful grace in us and through us? And this is what I want to talk to you about second. We've looked at the principle of reinforcing change, the principle of that we reap what we sow. And secondly, I want to share with you a few practices of reinforcing change. And I want this to be as practical as I can make it, okay? So the practices of reinforcing change or pursuing spiritual formation, here's what I'd encourage you to do. I'm going to share with you four practices and give you some practical ways to begin to engage in those more faithfully. And there's more than just four, but I would love for you to prayerfully consider in the next few minutes how the Spirit might be calling you, even this morning, to hear some of what I'm going to talk about and perhaps begin to apply it in your life with the purpose of reinforcing your own faith in the gospel, with the purpose of taking what you believe into the day-to-day -day of your life and seeing actual change. So what are the practices of reinforcing change? What is the way that we pursue spiritual formation? I'm going to give you four, okay? Here's the first one, scripture. I'm sure that's not a surprise <laughs> to any of you. Scripture, change is reinforced by the formative practice of engaging the scripture. What does that look like? When I use that phrase, engaging the scripture, I mean three things, hearing it, reading it, and meditating upon it. We are, we are formed as God's people, and we are reinforcing the Spirit's work in our lives towards change when we engage God through the Scriptures. So you should hear. How do you hear the Scriptures? The primary and most important way is through right here, the gathering of God's people on Sundays when we're collectively together in worship. One way that you reinforce change and pursue habits of spiritual formation is by engaging your hearts and your minds in God's word as it is read for you and taught 
to you. That's the way we hear. You're also called to read God's word on your own. And just very practically, I've talked with the, a lot of you about this. The youth, when I taught the high school Christian ed in the spring, we talked about this a good bit. If you're going to really be formed by the scriptures, <clears throat> especially in the world that we live in, there's a few practical things that you've got to do just to get nuts and bolts with you. First, you need to plan. <laughs> some of you love that. Some of you hate that. But I found in my own life that if I don't plan the time, it's not going to happen. Set aside 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes of your day. It's probably better to do it around the same time every day and focus on reading the scripture. Find time and plan the time. Put it in your phone. Remind yourself. Lock it into your calendar. The second thing you're going to need to do to read is to find a reading plan. Some of you might be able to just kind of open up and go. That's probably not the most, that's fine. If you're going to open the Bible and read, go. But there's better ways than just sort of randomly picking a passage and going. Uh, there's all sorts of Bible plans. There's m many apps that can help you develop a way to read the Bible well and thoughtfully. I use what's called the daily office. Um, the daily office is a, a way of reading and engaging with God's word that people have used for a thousand years plus. And that word office, that word office has come to mean like the place where you go to do your labor. But it used to mean the labor itself, the work itself. And the daily office I find to be very helpful because it gives you multiple different parts of the Bible every day. You'll read a Psalm, you'll read a reading from the Old Testament and a reading from the New Testament. And you're also joining with literally millions of followers of Jesus from around the world and reading the same text every day and meditating on the same text every day. If you don't want to use the daily office, don't use it, but use something else. If you have the ESV Bible app, probably any Bible app, they've got many reading plans. So I would encourage you as you seek to reinforce change in your life to find a time and to find a plan. And then, so we need to hear the word, we need to read the word, and then thirdly, we need to meditate. Meditate on the word. What does that mean? Here's Don Whitney's definition of meditation. Deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in the scripture for the purposes of understanding, application, and prayer. Think about it like this. Imagine that um, you are a cup of hot water and scripture is a tea bag, Okay. Reading the Bible is like the bag touching the water. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would be absorbed when you soak the bag with the water over a period of time. That is meditation. Meditation is immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all of the rich flavor has been extracted into the water. And None of us are good at this. <laughs> I shouldn't say none of us, but probably none of us. I'm not good at it. And uh, most Westerners in the modern world are not good at meditation. And I would encourage you to think about starting with five or 10 minutes and picking one verse in your daily reading and reading it over and over and over again. And even taking one word at a time and meditating on the meaning of that word. And then pray over that verse and ask God to reveal the truth of this verse to you. And think about what it means for your own life. That's the way that we engage with God and reinforce change through the scripture. Okay? So there's some practical tools for the first one. Scripture. Second, we reinforce change through the formative practice of prayer. 
prayer. There's probably no more important spiritual discipline or way to reinforce change than through prayer. Listen to the uh, 19th century Anglican pastor, J.C. Ryle. Here's what he said. What is the reason that some believers are so much brighter and holier than others? I believe the difference in 19 cases out of 20 arises from different habits about private prayer. I believe that those who are not eminently holy pray little, and those who are eminently holy pray much. Oh, <laughs> oh it makes me feel bad to read that one. Uh, but what, what Ryle is doing is pointing out the fact that prayer is the most important way that God forms us and that we can engage and reinforce the process of change. Um, and Tim and Kathy Keller, they have a book on marriage, and in that book, Kathy actually gives this story about um, when her and Tim, I think I've told this before, but she talked about her and Tim going through a really difficult time in their life and in their marriage. And they had not had a lot of time in private prayer individually or in prayer together. And Kathy came to Tim one night and said, if one of us were, you know, diagnosed with a, a, a terminal illness and told you're going to die in a matter of weeks, unless you take this one pill every morning and every evening. If you take this one pill every morning and every evening, you'll be fine and the effects will be, you know, softened. But if you miss, you're going to die. Do you think that they would do it? Yes. They would find a way to remember to take the pill. And what Keller says next is that our, our prayer lives are the exact same. If you're not doing it, you are shriveling spiritually. If you don't do it, you're going to die because there's no better way to engage with God, to reinforce change, to believe the gospel, to learn what it means to follow Jesus than through engaging him in prayer. And so very practically, a couple of things I want to challenge you towards, church. Again, you need to plan the time. <laughs> uh, one thing that I try to do during my weeks, and I'm not as consistent as I should be, is that on Monday mornings, I know this is pastor, pastors can do whatever they want. They can pray at work, etc. But on Monday mornings, I blot out about an hour where I pray for the needs of the church. And if I don't have it on my calendar with a reminder set up, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to find something else to do. I'm going to check email. I'm going to do something different. Another priority, the tyranny of the urgent is going to take me. So I put it on my calendar, and what I have to do is get up and walk. I don't take my phone with me. I have to walk around our office complex, and people probably think there's that weirdo again walking around muttering to himself. But I, I have to do it because I've learned that I get distracted. If I have my phone around me, if I'm near a computer, you know, if there's all my books around in my office, I have to walk, and I have to write it into my calendar and even then, I still find my mind wandering off. So I would, I would encourage you, though, to devote consistent time as, as much as you can. Start with five minutes to daily prayer. A uh, couple other things real quick. It's important to pray with others. You know, when Jesus' disciples in Luke 11 say, Jesus, teach us to pray. That implies that prayer is a learned discipline. It's something that you can get better at. And one way you get better at prayer is by praying with other people. And so at your community groups, when you're meeting with someone at the church for lunch or another brother or sister in Christ, ask how you can pray for them and spend some time together in prayer. And then finally, regarding prayer, I think it's very helpful for you to practice and learn this discipline by thinking about and rejoicing in answered prayers. You know that God answers prayers? That actually happens. 
<laughs> and uh, one of the best incentives for continued prayerfulness is when you remember all of the times God has answered our prayers. And even our meager, wimpy, distracted prayers, God loves to answer. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He says this, I cannot imagine any one of you parents tantalizing your child by exciting in him a desire that you did not intend to gratify. If it, it were a very, it would be a very ungenerous thing to offer alms to the poor, and then when they hold out their hands for it, to mock their poverty with the denial. It were a cruel addition to the miseries of the sick if they were taken to the hospital and there left to die untended and uncared for. Where God leads you to pray, he means you to receive. God loves to answer prayer. Isn't that good? That's good news. And as you remember that and rejoice in that, it actually incentivizes you to pray more. So we reinforce change through scripture, through prayer. A couple more real quick. Third, through service. Through service. Change is reinforced through the formative practice of service. Now last week, we talked about how the main roadblock on the pathway to change is self-love. Remember that? Or pride. And service in particular is a formative practice that fights against pride. Pride loathes service. Pride glazes our eyes and chains our hands and our feet so that we don't care, so that we don't move and we don't serve and we don't want to serve. And of course, serving is following the example of Jesus himself who served us humbly. So we serve because in the gospel, he serves us. So a couple of practical things. I found it helpful, again, to discipline yourself to serve. It's fine if you just kind of see a random opportunity and jump in and serve, but it's more helpful for you in reinforcing change when you plan and discipline yourself to serve in regular ways. One of the great things about being a part of a new church without a facility is that we have plenty of ways for you to serve. We'd love for you to get involved. Contact our office. We'll ha we're happy to plug you in. Another great way to serve is to get involved in other organizations that will give you a front row seat, as it were, to the brokenness and fallenness of the world. Children's Hunger Fund, Will Young, where are you, Will? Will's right there, works for Children's Hunger Fund. They're looking for volunteers. It's a great way to meet real practical needs for the poor and the weary in our city and really around the world. Um, Alan Tysinger, one of our elders, is on the board at Resources for Women, a ministry that we support. You can serve and volunteer there. There's many organizations, San Antonio Mercy Ministries, Boysville. All it takes is a little bit of initiative and a little bit of time for you to reinforce change through the act of service. Last one. We reinforce change through the practice, through the spiritual formative practice of silence and solitude. And the reason I add this one, the reason I add this one is because um, I think more than any time in the history of the world, probably we need this. And probably also more than any time in the history of the world, we, we don't want this <laughs> really deep down. So what do I mean? When I say the practice of silence and solitude, I'm referring to voluntarily and temporarily abstaining from speaking and withdrawing to privacy so that certain spiritual goals may be sought. This is, I would put it, I would put forward to you more important now than it's ever been. And I mention this especially because of the advent of social media and the iPhone. You know, in the last 10 years, these things, 
have changed the world in a revolutionary way. And they've actually also changed our brains. They've changed the way we function with other humans. And there are many blessings to them, but there are also curses to them. And one of the curses to them is that we can't be alone with ourselves and our thoughts. And that actually hinders our fellowship with God. I'm convinced just from watching myself and thinking about my own life that your phone can suck the spiritual life right out of you. And um, I'm also convinced thinking about my children and younger generation that this is only going to grow in its importance, thinking through this issue as the church. There's a lady named Sherry Turkle, by the way, who is a professor at MIT, and she's written a couple of books on this topic. She's one of the world's leading uh, scholars on robotics, but she's also like train, got training in sociology. And she's got a book called Alone Together, where she interviewed thousands of young people, college students, high school students, and learned from them that they're unable, increasingly our youth are unable to internally process their own emotional life. And they find themselves being led to immediately share what they're feeling, thinking, or whatever on some social media platform. And um, she talks a lot about a lot of the consequences of that, but one thing she writes is that what is not being cultivated in our youth is the ability to be alone and reflect on one's emotions in private. And listen, throughout history, the people of God have sought time to themselves to seek God. Listen, Jesus had to do that. All through the Gospels, Matthew 4, Matthew 14, Mark 1, Luke 4, Jesus retreats. He goes away to a private place and spends time with God. Listen, if Jesus had to do that, we have to do that. If Jesus needed silence and solitude to pursue God, we need silence and solitude to pursue God. It's an important way that we reinforce change. So a couple of real quick things practically, and then we'll finish, okay? I'd encourage you to think about turning off your phones one afternoon a week and resisting the urge to turn them on. I'm terrible at this. I don't do it well. I try to do it on Fridays, and I usually don't. I need to get better at this. I'm preaching to myself, too. Sundays are a great day to do that. Turn off your phone when you get home from church and keep it off until you go to bed or the kids go to bed. It's a helpful practice to not to fight against your addiction, which sucks spiritual life out of you. It drains you. That's one very practical way to practice silence and solitude. And you don't even have to be quiet the whole time. You can actually talk to real humans <laughs> who live in your house. Uh, another practical tool, if you, if you commute, say, to work, when you're in the car in San Antonio, a lot of us drive 15, 20, 30 minutes. Turn the radio off. Turn your iPhone off. Mute all of your devices and pray. Or all of these Bible apps that we have, they can read the Bible to you. Do you know that? They all have audio mechanisms where you can listen to the scripture. You can spend time praying. Instead of cussing in traffic at the guy in front of you, pray, right? If you don't commute, if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're at home and your kids are older, one great thing, and I know it's really hard, so I'm not trying to like say this is super easy. It's hard for all of us, but we can begin with small steps. One thing you can do is institute you know, 15 minutes or 30 minutes of quiet time, of quiet play time. Kids, go to your rooms. I'm going to be alone. You need that for your own sanity, moms, anyway. But you can use that time to engage with God, offer a few simple prayers as you move into the second part of your day. And lastly, I think it's important for you to think about finding a special place where you can pursue silence and solitude. 
This is something else that I have not done as consistently as I did when we first started the church. Usually, when we first started the church on Monday mornings, uh, after Sunday and the grind of Sunday, I would get up on Mondays and I would drive to Landa Park in New Braunfels and I would walk through the woods. And just me, I wouldn't take my phone. I would pray, I would spend time with God, I would listen. Yeah, I'd get distracted. We're all going to get distracted, but you got to start small. Maybe there's a place, maybe there's a place where you can walk. Maybe there's, there's a place that can be a place for you to pursue silence and solitude with God. The point of all this, guys, is that these are things we need to be thinking of together so that we can reinforce the process of change. I've tried to give you a few practical tools, and um, there's others, and there are many of you who are much better at these things than I am. And so pursue people in your own life, in your community groups who have a spiritual maturity that you aspire to, and ask them what they do. So as we engage God in these things, as we pursue God in these things, we are sowing, right? We're, we're sowing so that we might reap a spiritual harvest, so that we might reap change. I'm going to close with this story, and then I'm done. Um, there's a place down in the Pearl called Jazz, Texas. It's opened recently. It's a really cool place. I've been there a few times uh, where they have great live music and uh, good food and drinks. And uh, the guy who owns that club is a guy that goes to one of our sister churches downtown. His name is Brent Watkins, and he leads the band. And he's a jazz pianist, and he is just unbelievable. I'm trying to learn a little bit, bit of piano myself, and, you know, I like playing, uh, what's the song? Uh, yeah, Chops. I'm not even that good. I can't get there yet, but uh, hot, hot Cross Buns, that's the one. I love Hot Cross Buns. But anyway, I watch him play, and it's like, just nothing. He and the piano are one. <laughs> you ever seen anyone that's like that good at an instrument? And his fingers, he's just unbelievable. It's free. He is totally free on the piano. He's alive on that thing. It's, it's, like, it's like God put him on the planet to do this. How do you think he got there? God didn't just inject into his brain the ability to do that. He did it over the time, over his whole life of formative discipline, work, effort, practice, habits. The key to freedom and spiritual joy and spiritual life is through formative practice of seeking God so that we can experience the freedom of life that God offers. Jesus gives us that. He frees us in the gospel, and then he calls us to follow him. And one of the ways that we do that is by practicing these spiritual habits. It's how we can reinforce change. We don't do it alone. The Spirit helps us, and we can also encourage each other. But may it be the case with us as we move forward and seek to change. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your love for us in the gospel. We pray that you would help us as we seek to follow you and obey you to change and um, to work towards that, to reinforce faith and repentance in our lives through the scriptures and through prayer and through service, through silence and solitude and through other means by which you meet with us and engage with us. And God, uh, we know that our faithfulness in these things are not what make us accepted by you. You accept us by your grace through Jesus perfectly. And we want to experience and know more of the joy and the hope and the peace that you freely give us and offer us in Jesus. So we pray that you would help us to work and to think and to act in reinforcing these things in our lives through pursuing you faithfully. And God, may we not try to do this alone, but to help each other in it so that we can more and more faithfully live daily lives of faith and daily lives of repentance. Will you help us in that? 
God, we ask these things knowing that you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen.